All right, very good. So I have a daunting title today, Thinking Like God Thinks. So I'm going to tell you how God thinks. Wow. That's a big subject. But I'm going to give a couple of highlights. At least he reveals to us how he thinks. And to me, like, if I think about the way God thinks, it helps me a lot. Like, like what's their deal? What, what are they like? You know, if, for example, if you know somebody and they have a certain personality, kind of, you can kind of project out how they're going to respond to this or that, right? Likes and dislikes. And so God brings a whole revelation of what he thinks all through the Bible. That's why it's so important to get close to your Bible. And um, so why don't we start at the beginning, Genesis 1.1. <laughs> so turns out that God's creative, we see that, and he didn't stop creating just at the beginning of the earth or beginning of time or whenever, however that works in time, time frames or whatever, but he always creates, he's always doing something new. If you see it all through the scriptures, behold, I am doing a new thing. Isn't that great? He's always creating, always doing new stuff. He didn't just stop, right? But also, he's creative and happy. That's another thing you might not know about God, you know? Read through the pages of the Old Testament, you might think, well, man, he's in a bad mood. He's been in a bad mood for about a thousand years now, right? Actually, he's really happy, both with his work and his creation. And as I read through Genesis chapter 1, it's fascinating, uh, just this beginning. Maybe you haven't read this for a while. But uh, I'll just read these 13 verses and then comment them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters the creative hand of God was hovering and God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and God said let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water so God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it and it was so God called the vault sky and there was evening and there was morning at the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas. And then I want you to notice this little phrase. And God saw that it was good. Interestingly enough, he never stops seeing that the earth is good. He likes what he did. He didn't change his mind somewhere in the few centuries, you know, between creation and now. But it's important because the Bible emphasizes this again and again and again. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky. And so he talks about the lights in the sky, but after he's done, the, you know, the big light for the moon and the sun. But look at verse 19, and God, or verse 18, and God saw that it was good. He likes all of it, evidently, right? If he changed his mind, that would be something, but he never has changed his mind. Matter of fact, he full well knew what was going to happen. It didn't catch him by surprise. But he still called it good. And God said, verse 20, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly across above the earth, across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing 
with which the water teems, and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed, blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the fifth day. And then we go to the 25th day, and he begins to make the creatures... God made, verse 25, the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So the important thing about this is he also made us. And having been made in God's own image and born again through the blood of Jesus, God gives us the same joy of creating, ruling, and declaring that God and his creation are very, very good. And so let's read about us a little bit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, verse 26, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. So we see this passing of the baton to us to rule the world, to rule this good world, to actually uh, be in charge, which is really quite remarkable. He knew it was going to happen too. But he never left his call. He never lifted it off of humanity. And through his son Jesus, he purchased this race of people who can truly be good because they're covered by the blood, but they have the Spirit on the inside of them. And there's a holiness and a righteousness about them. And they have this mandate too. But God helped humanity. He helped them in a way that they could be good all the time, just like He's good, and have creative ideas and be inhabited by the very Spirit of God. Just as God brooded over the waters, He now inhabited people through what Jesus did on the cross. God blessed them, verse 28, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Notice that? When he adds the humans to the whole thing and puts them in charge, he says he's as very good. He's not sorry. Still isn't sorry for one minute about giving us charge of this earth. He has a plan. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So, very good. That's what he thinks about us. The beauty of problem solving and working with God is that it's meant to make us happy. God is your source and resource for all life. So, our labor in this world is intended to make us happy. To understand the heart and mind of God, read your Bible. Listen to the Spirit and connect with other believers who can also hear God's voice because sometimes... In the fray, we stop listening, we stop hearing. One of the worst things you can do is stop reading your Bible. It explains things. 
It tells you all about this goodness. It defines who you are. It gives you examples for what people have done in the past that weren't so good. And people who are in charge of this plant that did really well, that are that is really good, right? And so one thing I think that happens to us, especially in times like this, is we lose the voice of God. We lose his speaking in our ear. We take for granted his words. The greatest place you can go for his word to know what he thinks about everything is the Bible, right? It's so important to understand the heart and mind of God. Read your Bible, listen to the Holy Spirit, and connect with other believers who can also hear God's voice. So it turns out that he puts you in a family, and he also equipped them to hear God's voice. So when your voice goes dim on the inside of you, somebody else can pick up the slack. When you get discouraged and depressed, there's someone to lift you up. Someone that God places particularly for a day and a time. That's why it's so important to gather. Even in a larger gathering like this, you never know when somebody's going to say something incredibly important to you. Or something's going to be done in the service to remind you of who you are, this dominion, this thing that actually the world is good. Because sometimes the enemy can make it so black, it doesn't seem good at all. Right? It doesn't seem to be anything good. But God made the earth. He's not fretting. He's not concerned about anything. He's not worried about COVID. He's not frightened over the latest dictator or the latest thing. So the thing is, one thing that's important for us to do is keep that space inside of us. We're not worried either. You can be concerned, but there's a difference there between abject fear and I've got this. I'm in charge. And that's the way God speaks. When you're not hearing that voice of I'm in charge and you let yourself go too far, pretty soon you, you become like the dark side. You begin to be like the world around you. Actually, God made us transformers. He brought us into the world to transform the world and he didn't change his mind. He just changed his strategy a little bit. The strategy he had held from the beginning, the most intense strategy was eventually bringing the creator of the universe, making him a man, allowing him to take the whole sins of the world so that we could actually rule better so we could actually do better. The Holy Spirit that comes inside of us as a result of this experience with God brings an overwhelming awareness of God's love for us. This is really, really important because I think not only does God's voice get drowned out in us, but if God's voice gets drowned out in us, so is his love because we stop hearing him speak to us. One of the most dynamic passages in the whole scripture describing what it's like to be a Christian is Ephesians 3, 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in the heaven on earth derives its name. We just talked about that. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the amazing thing about this season that we're in now of world history is he sent his son and all believers since then have had the very spirit of God living on the inside of them so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then this other thing, and he's praying for them, that they would have this experience. And this is experience we call the Father's love or the love of God, the love of Jesus. But it's all about this love, but it's a tangible, living, wonderful experience. To be experienced not just once in a lifetime when, I got, when you get baptized or at a special event or you're especially happy about the Dodgers wedding last night or any of that. No, not just those peak moments but so that you can feel God established in love all the time in your life. All the time. I pray, he says. I'm praying for this because this is my experience and I want you to have it. 
It actually goes all the way back to Genesis. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Now, if he can pray that for his people, the Ephesians, then we can pray that for ourselves and others. So on your Christmas list, you can say, Lord, give me this, this, this. I need that house. I need the car. I need Billy to wake up. I need him to go to work. I need that baby to stop screaming every night. I need some peace. I need a new car. I Yes, but you also need love. But you need love beyond yourself or you won't be able to be married. Love beyond yourself or you won't be able to love your family. Love beyond yourself or you will not be able to love your country or your city or anybody else except yourself. So Paul knows about this. This is part of the great inheritance of the saints is that we have this way that we can pray. We have access to the Father. So we can actually pray this like Paul's praying. And listen to what he says. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. This is, a, this is one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray over yourself or anybody else. Because when this happens to you, you enter into the original place of creation where things are good, very good. You have the eyeballs of the Father who despite all the failure and sin and all the rest of it, still looks at his world and says, you know, I made that world good. I made it very, very good. May have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This sounds like an end time passage, like something you get when you die and you go to heaven. And I treated that way for a long, long time. So we have this teaching that we do around here, and I do in all my classes. I have my Life in the Spirit class. I'll be getting to this in a couple of weeks. You can join us here if you're newer to us. On Wednesdays from 6.30 to, to, uh, I don't know, it goes down about 8 or 8.15 or something like that. We have three or four classes, and my class is here. And one of these classes I'll be doing here pretty soon, the next two or three weeks, is I'll be teaching about this very thing about this thing we call the Father's love, this thing that Paul's praying that these Christians would get. I'm praying that you may be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How encompassing is his love. Not just when you first got saved, not just in the excitement of when you got baptized, not just when you were doing better. But all the time, everywhere, he covers you beginning to end. Everything, bad things, good things, his love is there, right? But the thing is, it's available that I didn't know is it's available emotionally. I just thought, well, we'll discover how much love was really there later, you know. <laughs> no matter what you're going through, this love's available. He consoles you. He encourages you. That's why he's praying. He says, you know, I know you Ephesians have been having a little bit of a hard time. So I'm just going to pray to you that God would let you grasp, that God would give you a revelation. By the way, this isn't just a distant prayer. You can pray this over yourself. You need this thing right here that I'm praying almost more than anything else. So you can look around the earth and say, it's good. You can see goodness. You can see God's fingerprints and respond. And then, more importantly, rule and reign like he does. A person full of this that I'm reading right here rules and reigns. Together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow! Now, I assume if Paul prayed it, that it's possible. Right? Is he praying the impossible here? No. He's the one that taught us. He taught us all about prayer. 
and many, many of his sermons. And of course, Jesus taught us to expect. So if this is within grasp, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. When you get that, you get on the same page as God. And then you look at the world with a little different lenses and say, it's good. It's very good. And you can look at a person that's not even doing well and give that pronouncement over them. See the same thing. That's something that I think I'm learning to do more and more is look at people past their weakness and see, hmm, I can see something good in that person. I can see you're doing something there. I can see that in a couple of years they're not even going to look like they are they do now. I love to interface with new believers because new believers are so excited but at the same time kind of unstable and unsure of themselves. But as I'm hanging out with them, you know, and I've been around a few lately, it's just so wonderful because I can see their trajectory. I can see with God's eyes. I can see how God loves them. And I can see in all their weakness, sometimes all they can do is see their weakness. But I can see beyond it. Matter of fact, when you get these eyes, you start looking beyond people's weakness and you start seeing their strength. How do you know this new set of eyeballs would be a good set of eyeballs about now? Right? Because the world is so crazy and topsy-turvy. Everything from our politicians to whatever, you know. And uh, it's so important that we live in this place. Because the Holy Spirit wants us to have that and helps shape the way we see things, the way we hear things, and the way we react. And even the way we solve life's most difficult problems. Look at John chapter 5, 19 to 20. I love these passages so much. They, they mean so much to me because they are so revelatory for me in terms of God and what he's all about. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the Son could do nothing by himself. That's Jesus walking the earth. He said, I can't do anything by myself. Wow. It means you can't do anything by yourself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Now you can focus on that verse, the last part, and say, and even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Yes, that's kind of where our eye goes. But the first part of that verse is the most powerful. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him all he does. So how does Jesus know what God's doing? He feels God's affection. And so when we feel God's affection, we become problem solvers. And we become happy problem solvers. Because we can see a problem through God's eyes, and we can hear what he's saying about it, and we can envision that person to be in a different place. Interestingly enough, it's not based on their behavior. It's based on what God's speaking to us, right? So it's so important that we get this sort of wisdom, right? And from this place, like Jesus, we can hear God's voice to solve even the most difficult of problems. And I like this verse so much. It's Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or left, your ear will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Oh, isn't that a great verse? How many would like to hear that word? This is the way, walk in it, right? But the key isn't straining yourself to try to feel, figure out the latest the wind or change or philosophy or political movement. The key is love. 
Because when God is loving you, then your ears open and you can hear, well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to respond to that? Right? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. For the Father loves you, Mark, and shows you all that he's doing. Right? For the Father loves you, Susan, and shows you all that he's doing. Right? This is a critical, critical thing. So the answers that we need, this is the way we walk in it, come from this intimate relationship with the Lord that goes all the way back into Eden, where God created things and he saw they were very good. But to see the very good, you have to hear God's voice and experience his love. Then you begin to see the very good. Did God stop seeing the very good on the earth? Is he just going to throw up his hands and let this earth go down in a fireball? No. There'll be a time, perhaps, somewhere down the line, and some kind of in the history of humanity, somewhere the earth will be gone, and there'll be a new season, a new time. But guess what? Right behind it is a new heavens and a new earth, right? But in the meantime, God still calls the earth good, very good. And that's really important for our insight. It really helps us then to manage. And so, from this place. You can petition uh, God in a way that stimulates joy, relationship, and confidence toward God for every problem. That's why I love Philippians chapter 4. It's like this wonderful approach uh, to life. Rejoice, Lord, always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Uh, how often would that be? Always. Did anybody stop rejoicing? <laughs> Very easy to do in this time, right? So sometimes I fall off the wagon a little bit, right? That's when I know I have to stop watching the news for a while. And I get back on when I'm rejoicing again. Rejoice, Lord, always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Is this a gentle time? No. Do you want to let your gentleness be known to all? Uh, Honestly, yes. I do. (laughs) He says something that's a little scarier than the world. The Lord is near. Because he sees the world different. He's not wringing his hands over the world. He sees lots of people that need to be saved. He sees lots of brokenness. His original intent for every human being, he sees it right on their head. I intended this person to be this way. So church, you see them that way. And you go and find them. And I'll give you a power and love to do it. So that's why he says, rejoice, Lord, always. And again, I'll say, see, this rejoicing place then helps you to be gentle and evident to all. Because the Lord is near. And that's the way he is. Then, verse 6. Here's where our real power comes. From that space, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. That salting the thing with thanksgiving always helps a lot because it helps you flow in the spirit that God wants you to flow in, right? Present your requests known to God. So if there's something that's wrong, you get to write it. But you do it through the power of the spirit. You do it because you're not upset. You're rejoicing with God. You're flowing along with God. And there's evil things and there's bad things. But you know what? You're, you're giving thanksgiving over what God's already done. And then you're presenting your request to God like a son would his father, right? Like a child would... Even the little bittiest ones, to me, they're the most instructive. They have no qualms about asking for everything. (laughs) Right? No guilt, nothing, no shame whatsoever. 
that keeps going until you shame them into not being that way <laughs> when they're 14 or 15. <laughs> I tell you, even then they have a pretty big appetite if, you, if they were raised right. <laughs> yeah, so. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is again. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ If ever was a time we need our hearts and our minds guard, it's now. Because God's peace transcends our understanding. So we can be rejoicing in thanksgiving and giving thanks, even in situations like we see around us, but at the same time doing something about it because we're petitioning for those various failures, those various problems, right? With thanksgiving, present your, rest, your request to God. So notice how he does this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray about it, okay? But, but look, I know how worried you are. Do it with thanksgiving. Do it with a smile on your face. Do it like God's still in control of the earth. Do it like God's a, a, the king, and he has access to all the realm of humanity. He can change things in a moment. Do it like God really does matter. He's really there. So you can give thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you know all about this. I thank you for this situation, and I can't wait to see what you do about it. Please help me. And then guess what? You've got peace, and it guards you. And then you start thinking clearly about everything. I'll tell you, what, praying is such a powerful thing. It's amazing how people abandon in times of trouble. But prayer is so powerful for us, especially, uh, I would say, uh, in this hour. Um, and it's such a, 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 it's a such a beautiful section of Scripture. Boy, the Lord loves to give gifts to His children when they ask. Look at Matthew chapter 7, 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Now, the interesting thing about this is the Greek tenses. So if you were really going to read this literally, it would be, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. Why wouldn't that be so? He declared you good, very good. I like Sam and Fred and George and Susan and Ann. For everyone who asks, ooh, how many? Wait a minute. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. What an incredible scripture. But then he says this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? We've been praying in this environment. Do you feel like you got some stones and snakes so far? Sometimes it's easy. Man, I've been praying about this. I pray for that guy to get elected and didn't get elected. I pray for this. What's going on here? Something's wrong here. No. God and God give us snakes. Our only duty is to pray. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Wow. Can you imagine everybody asking him how many good gifts would be around? When we stop asking, the gifts dry up. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And he slips that whole word about love again in there. What an amazing passage of Scripture uh, this is. I just love this passage uh, so much. Because of Jesus, you can be a child of God, born of the Spirit, expecting to do the works that he did, asking for anything in his name. If this was just said in one corner of the Bible, it would be one thing. But you see it all over the place. You get sort of blind to it when you get discouraged, right? But look at John 14. Very truly I tell you, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father, 
And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. There it is. Sometimes the timing might be a little slower than you're used to. But these words are sure. And I'm telling you, standing on these words, thinking like God thinks, are more stable than anything the world has to offer or anything you could engineer yourself, right? And it goes for every area of your life. Anything you could engineer yourself about your career. Anything you could engineer uh, for yourself about your family or about getting married or not married or about children or about parents or whatever it is. The best job that you could imagine. God can give you anything. Just ask in his name. Because things are good. God's got a good opinion about his world and about his believers, especially those that are born of the Spirit. Because of Jesus, you can be a child of God, born of the Spirit, expecting to do the works that he did, asking for anything in his name. So, if you look down at Roman numeral 2, God gives seed time and harvest to teach us how to sow toward breakthrough and the inheritance of his promises every day of our lives. So one thing he gives is this approach. God's my source. God's where I go. God's where I turn. God defines me. God releases his spirit. He, he's the one that shapes my emotions. He's the one that shapes everything. He's in charge. I'm not going to wring my hands about anything because he's in charge. And I get to co-rule with him. And I have something to say about this. I have something to say about this. But here's something else. God gives seed time and harvest. Notice in creation, to teach us how to sow toward breakthrough and the inheritance of promises every day of our lives. Look at Luke 6, one of the most powerful sections in the whole Bible. Just these two verses, three verses or so. Do not judge, and what will happen? You will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Wow. That's a lot. That's a big weight off of us. So it's one thing for the world to condemn us, people speak ill of us, whatever, but I don't want any condemnation from the creative side, the God side, right? So I don't judge, and I'm not judged. I don't condemn, and I'm not condemned. I forgive, and I'm forgiven. So it's just a hard attitude more than anything else. You can know when you're crossing the line. Yeah. Your emotions change, your mind changes, you get tightened, your heart starts beating, <laughs> start feeling bad. <laughs> Sometimes people do this all in the name of God. But I assure you, forgiveness doesn't feel that way, condemnation doesn't feel that way, and judgment doesn't feel like that. So when you slap into that territory, you go, oh, yeah. something internally has got off here. <laughs> And it could be with your family, it could be a neighbor down the street, it could be your boss, it could be your government, it could be you name it. Here, though, is the key. Give, and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, while we're talking about the universe, and it is good in the universe, this is what God put in motion in nature itself. That's how all plants grow, right? All vegetation. It's a law of the universe. I put the seed in and something comes out, right? So you can either put bad seed in and get thorn bushes, or you can get good seed and you get something else. So giving is one of the best things you can do. Be a giver. Be a forgiver. Give and forgive. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, and measuring not to other people, wow, it'll be measured to you. And the measure you use in terms of respecting and honoring the Lord. Like here in this place. You came here, I hope, not because of me or some friend or whatever, I hope you came for God. You came to be with God's people. That's what you did. You did it to serve God, right? That's the whole issue of church. He's the one that said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. He's the one that likes us together. He calls it good. And where two or three gather together, he said, there I am in their midst. He's in your midst without two or three. But evidently, when two or three gather, there's something different. Something else happens. Oops, excuse me. Uh, it's David again. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> in case he does this again, I don't have time to turn this off. Could you just take that and give that to that nice man in the green shirt over there named Carl. Wave your hand, Carl. All right. Maybe, maybe you can see what David needs. <laughs> All right. So, Ask God what he wants you to sow as part of the answer toward your problems. Well, the most dramatic seed you can sow towards blessing is forgiveness. Luke 6.37 Sowing costly seeds move us toward God in abundance, right? Toward God in abundance. This is really, really important. And so I already read 6.38, right? But let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What does that mean? Does that include money? Yeah. Does it include wealth, time, energy? When you sow generously towards someone else, you reap generously. Law of the universe. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's the good part. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a mouthful. Can I read that again? Look at it carefully. And God, verse 8, is able to bless you, how, how big? Abundantly. So that all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have scattered freely their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving. Wow, what a great scripture. Powerful. Those words are so powerful. So in creation God gives seed time and harvest to teach us how to sow sow toward breakthrough and inherit the promises of our everyday life. Some seeds you sow may not look like they're connected to breakthrough in your life. So what I'm speaking to is, first thing, Roman number one, I'm speaking to thinking like God thinks in terms of your attitude, in terms of the creative, happy God, right? But the second thing I'm addressing to, to you is when you get in a situation, there's a way toward sowing, toward answers, toward your problems. In other words, this is something tangible. The first one's about attitude, and we're going to get back to attitude, Roman numeral three, but the second one is that you're not helpless. There's always a way to sow, like seed time and harvest. If you want a crop of corn, you sow corn seed. If you want a crop of peace, you sow those kind of seeds. If you want a crop of, of this or that, you sow different kinds of seeds, right? 
And so some seeds you sow may not look like they're connected to breakthrough in your life, but there's, in all giving, there's a return. So people were looking at Jesus hanging down that cross, sowing his seed for all of humanity, right? He's doing this, and, and nobody probably recognized even what was going on there. The most anointed holy seed coming out of his life was being given, right? John chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So when you plant something, you get a harvest. So he's talking about his own life being sowed. Right? But he applies it to us. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's not talking about literal hatred. He's talking about sowing. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, the servant also will be. My Father will also will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So the weakness of the cross. He says, you know what? This, uh, th- then he hears this voice say, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered like an angel had spoken. The, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world must be driven out. So Satan is about to be defeated. But how did he get defeated? And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So sometimes seeds that we sow look so incredibly weak and pathetic. They look like nothing. They look like zero. But every seed that you sow with good heart and good intention, of kindness, of love, of money, whatever it is, toward another person, toward a cause, whatever, bears fruit. It's just that sometimes we sow, maybe even to a difficult relative, over and over and over again. But there's a harvest to every seed of kindness. God makes sure there's a kindness, even when the weakness doesn't seem that there could be any. How could the cross look anything but horrible? Yet behind it, just behind it, was this amazing resurrection, right? In Isaiah 58, we see this lifestyle of a person who sows seeds, matter of fact, dramatic seeds, to change their own life and change the world. Isaiah 58. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it not only for bowing one's head like a reed and for <coughs> lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord, just getting sad and angry and upset and humiliated? No. Is not this the kind of fast I've chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? How do we do that? Well, you sow a seed. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What a promise. 
Call it God's chosen fast. Lord, I want my light to break forth like the dawn. I want my healing to quickly appear. Well, here. Don't poke at people. Don't point with malicious fingers. Spin yourself on the hungry. Satisfy the oppressed. And there it all is. Just laid out for you. Right there. Right? Some seeds you sow may not look like they're connected to breakthrough in your life. I'll tell you. The things that we do in and around the warehouse, I could never have done anything better for this community or our church. (laughs) Because it's just one big place where we sow toward the week. Day in and day out. Every single day. That sowing goes on. And it's taught me a great lesson about my own life. I want to be like that. Every day I want to be sowing into people. I want to be sowing. I want to sow. Even those that are weak, the greatest thing you could teach them is how to sow. Even those that aren't doing well, they look like they're flat on their back, have no money, whatever. The best thing they could do is learn how to walk with God and start sowing. Because with every seed that you sow, there's a harvest. And so they become so involved with themselves, and we can become so involved with ourselves, we forget, right? But some seeds may not look like they're connected to breakthrough in your life. But they are. If the person's not doing well financially, the best thing you could do is sow seed. If you're not doing well emotionally, then help somebody else. Whatever you can do, whatever form it takes in the form of your need, find a way to sow it toward the Lord. It gives you great hope. It gives you great encouragement. And the Lord will reward you for it. You cannot, absolutely not, outgive God. The answer for where we're at is turning our attention to the weak. That's one of the answers that we have for this current time. Do business the way God does business. And if you notice the things that I just read about the reward of it, it's quite remarkable. It extends into almost every area, doesn't it? It's, it's remarkable. If you do all of that, guess what? The Lord will guide you. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. I think our land's a little sun-scorched right now. He'll strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. How do you know that we've got a few ruins laying around right now? And you'll raise up the old age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Wow, all that comes from seed time and harvest, sowing toward breakthrough. And it's the world way that God weighed the world. The seed goes in and the plants go out. It's the picture, right, that we see in all creation. And all of these things reflect spiritual things. Here's something that's really strange. Take care of God's temple and change the economy, even the weather. That's one of the most dramatic things, lessons in the whole scripture. So it turns out that Israel, after being judged because of unfaithfulness in the land, they get returned to the land. But when they get returned to the land, they're so devastated by their surroundings, there's nothing left. Everything's destroyed. There's no crops in the field. There's no nothing. And they're just trying to survive. Ah, anybody in that mode? I'm just trying to survive. Well, these people... They're just trying to survive. So, decades go by. But the thing they forgot was that God's at the center. God will provide everything for them. And so they didn't put him first. And so he took issue with them. And we see it in Haggai, one of the strangest passages in the whole Bible, but most instructive. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. That the word of the prophet... Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. So I don't mind your houses. Just think for a minute. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you harvest a little. You eat, but you never have enough. 
You drink, but you never have your fill. Now, I know you're in a difficult place, and you're working so hard to get those needs provided for. Day and night, you're working, you're slaving, you've returned to the land, everybody else is in cushy Babylon or wherever it was, Persia. But now you're here. I know you're sacrificing, doing a good job, but he didn't put me first. He just tried to survive. He didn't put me first. You put on clothes, put them out warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. See, this is the way the universe is. Everywhere you look throughout the whole world, sowing and reaping. And the cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. Give careful about your ways. Go up into the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. What's remarkable about this whole thing is even the people of the land suffered because of this. Even the surrounding peoples all over, they suffered. There was a drought. Nobody did well because the house of the Lord was not doing well. See what I mean? So we just put first things first. Seed time and harvest. It's amazing. It even affects their finances. See, in an agricultural economy, that was the economy. So everything in the economy went south. Everything. Nothing flourished. Nothing grew. Everything was destroyed. There was no way to make money anymore. Wow. Because, yes, I know you're poor. I know you're having a hard time. I know it's difficult. But you've got to put my house first. You put my house first, then I'll, I'll take care of you. Man, I tell you, this is one of the most powerful lessons you can learn about every single area of your life. And guess what happens? They began to do this. They began to build the Lord's house. Now look at this. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there was only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, and you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the temple, the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn until now? The vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, he says, I will bless you. Thank you God. Whoa. So they turn their attention to building the Lord's temple. And God says, you did it. You got it. From this day on, I'm going to bless you. Nothing else would work. Not your ingenuity. Not how smart you are. Not how hard you laid. It didn't matter how hard you worked. No, whatever. It didn't matter. You didn't put God's house first. So, interestingly enough, not only was their own land ruined, but the land all around them was ruined. The entire economy of the entire place was completely demolished. Wow. So, if we do well as believers, we do what God thinks is important. We build God's house. We take care of the weak, the poor. We do what he wants us to do. We serve like Jesus. We sow seed that he wants us to sow. Not only will it affect you personally, it'll affect your entire region. The whole area will get blessed. The world doesn't know it, but we are the greatest source of blessing. You pull us out, everything falls apart. As we know, 
But this is the reason. Because God honors that. When, when we honor him, he honors us. We see it again in Malachi. Just before the New Testament, it just gives this powerful proclamation of what was going on. But we ask, uh, you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And the thing that gets me about this passage is everybody outside, the other nations will call you blessed. Everything from the outside will call you blessed, right? And these things, these terms, prevent pests and so on and so forth. In an agrarian culture, it was everything. But our culture is not as agrarian as that, but it's the same thing. Everything you start doing works. You just put first things first. God gives seed time and harvest to show us how to sow toward breakthrough in the inheritance of his promises. I love this so much. We see it all through the Bible. It's so powerful to read these passages. Some of my passages, it's just, uh, again, this whole passage, thing of seed time and harvest is, is, is so powerful to think like God thinks. And sometimes he thinks this way and it just scares you to death. I mean, you think, really, God? Like this one right here in 1 Kings chapter 17. Wow. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Verse 7, then the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Bring me a little bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Doesn't get much lower than that, does it? (laughs) And then he's asking her for the last of her food, for heaven's sake, because he's a great prophet. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but make first... (laughs) Even after hearing this horrible... Sob story. What's your sob story? Oh, God, you don't know. It's so bad, man. I lost my job. Economy is so bad, I don't know what to do. Everything's topsy-turvy. Can't get rehired. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you've said. But first, first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then you have, and then make something for yourself and your son. I'll be generous here. You can have something for yourself, but make first for me. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now, this isn't the end of the story because this son died anyway. He died. He stopped breathing right in front of Elijah. And she looks at him and says, what do you have against me? First you wanted my food. Okay, then I, I get Granted, you gave me the food back. Okay, fine. But why did you kill my son? 
Did you come to remind me of my sin and, and, and then I, my son died? Now, her son would have died anyway. But Elijah was there. She kept him around with the food. And then a the bigger blessing happened. He stretches himself on the boy three times and the kid returns alive. Talk about a story giving out of your need. Talk about a merry-go-round. Talk about a roller coaster. Sometimes we get on the same roller coaster. Like that. It's scary, man. You're on the top, then you're on the bottom, then you're on the top. But the thing is, it's the sowing. It's the thing. It's sow seeds. Some seeds, they don't look like a breakthrough. She had no idea her son was going to die. She did not know in that moment when she responded to God and gave that little bit of uh, food that later it was going to mean that her son would be resurrected from the dead. Otherwise, he would have just gone somewhere. But there he was, living in her house. When the son died, boom, it was taken care of too. Oh, how powerful and sometimes unsearchable the ways are of God. Seed time and harvest, thinking like God's thing, God thinks. And there's this Luke 7 story, which is one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. See, the thing is, I hope you're getting through all this, that God's for you, not against you, and he hasn't left you without... Uh, a way to do business with him. Amen. You can see with his eyes. You can see with happy eyes. He's creative and happy all the time. He says it's good. I know the enemy steals and pillages and does this and that, but he still looks at his creation and says, it's good. I made it right. I did it right. Yes. I made it good. Very good. Very good. Luke chapter 7. Almost done. Verse 44 to 50. They turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has will be forgiven little. But whoever has... For whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? She said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How do you know when you first came to the Lord you didn't have that much to offer? <laughs> you weren't that great. You thought you were. <laughs> Part of the whole salvation process is realizing, Hey, I'm not doing so great. I probably need something else, right? But once you become a believer, this is something, you can live expectantly every day of your life. You can stop worrying. You can expect God's protection. You can expect God's wisdom. These are all requests. These are all things. These are all scriptural promises. That's why it's so important to live not on bread alone, but by every word of God. Aren't you glad that that widow went by the word of the prophet for that moment? No weapon forged against you, Isaiah 54, 7 says. You'll refute every tongue that accuses you. There's a holy nation this applies to. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You'll refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is their vindication from me. You can expect wisdom. James 1 tells you if you need wisdom, simply ask and you get wisdom. You have not because you ask not. James 1, verses 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to you. Have you ever asked for wisdom and then that 
I don't know if I got the way. <laughs> didn't seem quite that easy to me. You know, I'm still trying to figure this out. But you have to stand on that promise because, let me tell you a secret that I've learned about this. If you'll dial down and stop worrying, stop freaking out, you'll actually have ears enough to hear what the wisdom is. Right? So you just have to believe that first verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, will be given to you. It might take a little while to unfold, but God will give you wisdom. Anybody praying for wisdom right now? I declare every prayer you pray for wisdom will be answered. He said it right here. He, and he's not going to give it to you begrudgingly. Ah, no way. He might give it to you in stages, like seed time and harvest. But like a mother hen over eggs, just hatch those eggs that you're sowing toward wisdom, that you're praying about. They'll come to pass. And sometimes, if you're staying in the right state of mind, you'll see them unfold. Much wisdom comes as an unfolding of a process. Step one, two, three, four, five, six. When you can see wisdom and you see it coming toward you, just keep saying, more, Lord, more, more, Lord. Keep coming, Lord. I'm seeing the picture now. I'm getting to see it. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So when you get something you're praying for, keep watching. And if you see a little bit, say, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm, I can't wait for the rest of it. That's the key. You may not see it all at once, but it's like seed time and harvest. Sometimes you put the seed in and it grows up into an answer. I've seen that so many times in my life. But wisdom always comes. When you ask God for wisdom, He always gives you. He'll give you the answer to every trial. He'll give you the solution to every problem. I don't care how convoluted how screwed up it's gotten you can start all over again he will give you wisdom and watch it like a little plant grow up because it'll start to grow emerge it'll begin to take shape and form and it'll be amazing you can expect God's provision and his peace Jesus said I came that they might have love and have it abundantly I came they might have life and have it abundantly that reminds me of what we just said he saw that it was good he saw that it was good. Your walk with God is good. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. There's a little passage in an obscure place it's called Ecclesiastes. You ever read Ecclesiastes? What a weird book. But look at these verses. I like this. Remember we're talking about good? It's good. Right? God said it's good. This is what I observed to be good. I declare this vision over everybody in the sound of my voice. <laughs> that it is a, this is a Bible, by the way. I didn't write this. The Bible wrote this. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when the God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. So God's no spoiled spark. He just wants you to put first things first. He wants you to think like he thinks. They seldom reflect on the days of their life. Oh, that's a nice place. I haven't got there yet. Because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. Is that a good passage or what? Where did he get that? I've never read that. I think it's a pretty good goal, don't you? You can live expectantly every day. Like, Let's just read that one again. That one's so good. He's got to read it again. Have you ever read this? It's in, it comes in Ecclesiastes. What a confusing thing. Play, I mean, reading through this wisdom book and everything, you know, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, you know, so little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You just got all kinds of stuff. But then you see this. 
This is what I've observed to be good. It's in the Bible. That means God observes it to be good. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction or toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them. For this is their lot. This is your lot. Blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ, purified by the blood of Jesus, holy and acceptable to God. If it's anybody's lot, it's your lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. I'm happy with what I have. I'm excited with what I have. Thank you, Lord. They seldom reflect on the days of their life. Oh, I remember the old good old days when I had that job or such and such. No, you don't even... This place is a place you don't even think about that because God keeps them occupied <laughs> with gladness of heart. There's so much goodness, they, they, can't, they can't even look back. they got so much gladness and so many good, great stuff happening. Whoa, could that actually be true? Man, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that on me as soon as I'm reading it. I'm praying on me. Ooh, you, you can expect miracles every day of your life. Let's all stand. Lord, I'm asking you today that you keep us occupied with gladness of heart. There's so many things to preoccupy us. So I'm just asking for this place, for all of us. I could tell as I was speaking, many of you just received this like dry ground, water on dry ground. You know, a few of these things that I said here involved just asking, right? Crazy asking, bold asking. Because the way the world's put together, God had children. People have children to help us understand the way he thinks toward us. I just think in this atmosphere, hearts are so hungry. I'm going to do some worship here. But I just think, if you could just spend two minutes, five minutes, just doing business with God. Let go of the junk and embrace big things. Things you've been seeking for for a long time. Almost like you're here, God. Here I am. I'm presenting myself before you again. Sorry for the stinky thinking. I want to think like you think. And since I'm now thinking like you think, please help me here. And sometimes we have a concept like if we're going to suddenly think like God thinks, we realize we've been having some stinky thinking that we're going to have to like wallow in that and like be depressed about that and you know be discouraged about that. But we're going to do some baptisms here in a minute, and I want to get to that. But I'd just like to give you a moment. And if you could just maybe, if you want to come to the front, you could do that. Some people find more comfortable. And don't go any further than this, because we're about to baptize some folks. But just come right over here while we're playing. Because I think there's a, just a moment here, if we just take a moment, and we don't hurry too fast, you could just settle some things in your heart and your mind that God was speaking about. So come forward if you like. Stay in your seat if you like. If you need to go, it's okay too. I just want to do a little worship for a minute and uh, just let you pray, just let you pursue the Lord. Okay?